Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 90 today. Psalm chapter 90. really encourage you to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's okay. You're not the only one. We got Bibles in the chairs. Otherwise, phones or tablets, those work great too. We got the Bridge app. And uh, on the Bridge app, you can take notes as well as uh, have the Bible on there. It's kind of nice to have it in one location. But Psalm chapter 90, really encourage everybody to have a Bible because we're going to take this piece by piece. And it's really good for us to ha- all have it in our hands. I want us to be a church about the Bible. We always go back to the Bible, and so I just want us all to have the habit of having the Bible in our hands. Psalm chapter 90. Whenever I think about the book of Psalms, I usually think about King David, because King David wrote a lot about, or a lot of Psalms and songs. But this particular Psalm, if you're there already in Psalm 90, you're going to see, it wasn't written by David, right? It was written by Moses. And it kind of makes you wonder, Moses, what could Moses possibly have to know about my Google calendar. Do you know that Moses lived to be 120 years old? Like he really stuck it to that song earlier. 100 years to live, Moses is like, hold my staff, I'll show them. 100, 120 years old. Fun little fact about Moses. Bible tells us that when Moses was 120 years old, he could still see really well. It has nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought it was like this cool little Snapple cap fact. <laughs> could see really well at 120 years old. Some of you are 50 and you're like, Need longer arms. <laughs> Moses, 120 years old, could still see well. It's pretty cool. Moses, if you know much about his story, uh, Moses had, but I like to think, like he had four lives. And this is why we should really take his word seriously about time and his perspective on it all. Four lives, or four parts to his life, I guess. First life, he grows up in Egypt in the palace. So he grows up, silver spoon in his mouth, Best education, classy life, living with Pharaoh, learning to rule and to reign. He's going to take over the country, maybe. But then he had a fallout with Pharaoh and his family because Moses killed a guy. He saw an Egyptian killing a Jewish or beating a Jewish slave. Moses snapped and kills the Egyptian, takes off running, and that starts the second segment of his life or second life. He's a shepherd. Shepherd. Now we're talking about slow days. Now we're talking about taking the sheep out of their pen, sitting in the field. And watching the sun go across the sky, taking the sheep, put them back in their pen, and do the next thing the next day, the same thing, for 40 years. And during that time, Moses doesn't know what's going to happen. Now, we have, a lot of us, we know the rest of Moses' story, but Moses doesn't know the rest of the story at this point. So here you got a middle-aged shepherd thinking, well, this is it. So I had the good life in Egypt, spent the majority of my time now watching sheep, then I'll die and after a couple of generations, nobody will remember the name of Moses ever again. But then he stumbles across that burning bush, right? And that starts the third segment of his life. He ends up back in Egypt, demanding that Pharaoh let the Hebrew nation go. He's God's mouthpiece. And old Moses finds himself at the center of this big controversy that affected world history. Next thing he knows, fourth part of his life, he's leading a nation in the wilderness. Imagine that job. Leading a nation through a desert. I coached 13 five-year-olds yesterday on a soccer field. I almost took off running and retired yesterday after an hour. Imagine doing that for 40 years through a desert, a whole nation. And they're wandering around because this newly freed nation keeps whining and complaining. And God ends up having enough of it. And he says, forget it. 
The older generation, these complainers, they're not going into the promised land. They can't go in. So Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take these people and you're going to wander around the desert until the old generation dies off. What an awesome assignment. So he's raised in Pharaoh's home, shepherd for 40 years. Then he becomes this big name in Egypt, freeing a nation. Now he's walking around a desert waiting for a generation to die. Then at the end of his life, Moses gets to the edge of the promised land. So modern day Israel, edge of the promised land. He's right at the edge, but God had told him, you can't go in, Moses. But I'll tell you what, you can go up on that mountain, you can look at it because your eyes are so good. What a life. This guy's got some perspective on time. And in the 90th Psalm, he gives us this perspective and it's pretty incredible. So here's what I want to do. I, wanna, I just want to jump into this text, dive right in. Um, and as we're going to see, these verses, so, so sobering. It is so hard to read these verses and not come out of it with a better perspective on life. And so I just want to like soak in these words, uh, savor them a bit, and then we'll come out of that and we'll get like super practical and we'll talk about calendars and, and all that stuff. Before we do that, I want to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's practical. We thank you that this isn't just a collection of ancient writings that have nothing to do with us today, but this is your written word. So God, I ask that none of us take this time for granted right now, that what we hold in our hands, that we see this is your word. This is the God of the universe is talking to us. This is how you communicate to us. This is huge. So God, I ask that you open our hearts, even if we haven't opened our hearts to you in a while. I ask that you open our hearts today and engage our mind. Please speak to us for we are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 90. Let's start in verse 1. Moses writes this. He writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So you can see this is a prayer, right? I always like to imagine, whenever I read scripture, I like to imagine when this was written, kind of just kind of put myself in their shoes a little bit. I imagine Moses is in his tent, heat of the sun and the sand swirling around outside, and he's inside and he's praying and he's writing down his prayer. And he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world. This is cool imagery. Moses was a creationist. In fact, he wrote Genesis. So God told Moses about the formation of the foundations of the earth, the formation of the, the mountains, and Moses wrote that down for us in Genesis. And then Moses writes this. I'm going to pop this on the screen because this is so big. Moses writes, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And if you have a kid in Bridge Kids, they would have memorized this phrase three weeks ago. My daughter came home saying this. I was like, oh, I'm preaching on that in like a couple of weeks. This is an amazing concept. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is saying, God, you have arrows going in both directions. Everlasting to everlasting, eternal. There's no beginning, there's no end. My mind can't even comprehend that. It hurts to even think about it. Everlasting to everlasting. And somewhere in the middle is this little sliver, me, you, us. And that's a perspective that we often lose. Moses continues. He says, you turn people back to dust saying return to dust, you mortals. It's like a Thor statement right there, isn't it? Return to dust, you mortals. <laughs> Nobody puts that verse on a, you know, in a frame in their house. Or sews it on a doily. It'd be maybe a cool doily though, return to dust, you mortals. Maybe this seems a little harsh, especially for like a lot of people who get all easily offended today. This seems very harsh that Moses would write this, maybe a little insensitive, you know, maybe a little offensive. But Moses, for Moses, it wasn't. Moses lived each day with this in mind, that at any time, Moses' life could be snuffed out. And today, 
Moses' body, physical body, is dust. And, and maybe this is like a depressing thought. We don't like to think about this. But if Moses, if Moses were here, he would stand up here and argue, no, this is the perspective that helped me live in each moment. To never take a moment for granted. What a way to live. Moses goes on in verse 4. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night. Watching the night is three hours. So Moses is saying, a thousand years to you, God, is like a day. Actually, not even a day, God. A thousand years to you is like the length of a movie. It's nothing. You know how we say it? You're like, wow, the years are flying by. Imagine it this fast. God, from everlasting to everlasting, how small does my life look to you? How short is my allotted time to you? How small is my sliver of a life to you, God? He continues, verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. He's talking about humans now. He's talking about you and me. You and I are like grass that is renewed in the morning. So we start out as new grass in the morning. You know, oh, look at that baby. It's so cute. Verse 6, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. He's saying, God, to you, our lives, our years, and in verse 10, he's about to say, some of us get 70, some of us get 80. Moses got 120. But God, to you, our lives, that we get so stressed about, that we get so crazed about, that we get so amped up about, God, I guess our lives to you are like grass. Pops up in the morning. Hours later, is dead in the evening. Isn't this exciting stuff? Super motivating, isn't it? Like, aren't you glad you came to church today? We're so encouraging here at the bridge. Skip to verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. How many of you grew up singing or hearing the song, I'll Fly Away? Any of you in here? So that's, where this, that's where this song comes from, Psalm 90, verse 10. We fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I fly away. Verse 11, I'm going to pull this up here on the screen because it's a little bit of a weird verse. He says, if we only knew the power of your anger... Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. This is kind of, if you, if you look at this closely, it's kind of an oddly worded sentence structure. Um, in Hebrew, this psalm is very, very descriptive, but it's hard to translate it from Hebrew into English. Essentially what Moses is saying here, and this is so big, what Moses is getting at is that if we could see God for who he is, if you could really see God and his power and his might, his, his anger, his might, if we could see God for who he is, we would be much more careful with the time that he allots to us. Now that's a very sobering thought because we don't think this way. Because what do we do? What do I do? Because so hyper-focused on the task list and the projects and the drama and the sports and the schedule and the dinners and the events. We get so hyper-focused in on it and it takes Moses to kind of come alongside of us and push us into a different perspective. A perspective that can wreck our calendars. And maybe it should. It is so good for us mere mortals who will one day be dust. It is so good for us to sit down and contemplate the brevity of life. Our life is a, just a sliver in it all. And God cares about what we do with that sliver. And then Moses says something so good. He says, God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
teach us, God, because we don't do this by default. We live our lives as if we have all the time in the world. We parent our kids as if they'll be little forever. And we live with our spouse as if they'll be around forever. And we spend our time as if we'll always have our parents. And we live as though we'll always have our health. We spend our time as if it's unlimited. Now we know it's not. We know our time is limited. We know it's not unlimited, but we schedule and we plan and we cram as if our time is unlimited. And Moses says, no, 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 no. That's a huge mistake. Learn to number your days. Now, many of us have numbered our days before. All right, so if... uh, if you're married or uh, you're going to get married, you knew how many days, you numbered the days. You knew how many days you were going, it was going to be until you were the bride. You knew how many days it was going to be until you were going to watch the bride walk down the aisle to you. Or if, uh, if you're retired or if you're going to retire, um, you number the days, right? You're like 468 days until I'm out of here. And you plan accordingly, right? You knew, all right, before the wedding, nine months, I have to get the dress because it takes nine months to get a dress for some reason. You knew six weeks out, I have to start training my replacement for retirement. You had the days numbered and you scheduled accordingly. And so Moses says here, that's great. What if you did that with your whole life? What if you knew that at any moment, God can and has every right to say, return to dust, you mortal. What if you knew that your days were numbered? What would, that, what would happen? What would that do to you? Well, you'd gain a heart of wisdom. A wisdom that would direct your schedule. Our calendars would be Intentional. We would know what to add to them. We would know what to get rid of. We would know what to do more of. We would know what to do less of. Filling our days, filling our time takes wisdom. And the only way to get this wisdom is to number our days. Because, and this is essentially what Moses is getting at, because our time is limited, therefore we need to limit what we do with our time. Time is limited. We've got to stop living like it's unlimited. Time is limited. So we got a limit, but we do all the time. And doing this takes wisdom. Golden stuff from Moses, isn't it? Like I wish, part of me wishes that we could just gather here every morning before we go attack our days. We just gather here and we just read Psalm 90 because it, it would change how we live our lives. It's such a good perspective. But what does this look like practically? Like, what does this really look like practically? Because that's really what we've been focusing in on this series. Usually at the bridge, what we do is uh, we take a book for a series and we go verse by verse through the book. It's my favorite way to preach. But once in a while, uh, what we'll do is we'll take a series, just a short series like this, and we'll just get super insanely practical and just talk about like how the Bible is interacting with our lives in like a crazy way, very, very practical. And so what, that's what we've been doing with this series. So what does this look like? All right, so we read Psalm 90. It's good stuff, good perspective. What does this actually look like for tomorrow? How does this affect how you live uh, this next week? Well, four ways to number our days. Super creative, right? I feel like Moses at the bar up here. I just got to like, I'll never get there. But four ways to number our days. Number one, clarify your values. Here's how you number your days. Number one, first thing you got to do is clarify your values. You ever have a health scare? Scary for sure, but it does something to you. It's about a year ago now, uh, I had a health scare. Turned out I was fine, probably, at least for junior. But for about a week, I was, I was really scared. Um, and I didn't want to be dramatic about it, so I only told my wife and uh, a friend. But I was scared. 
something happened. The doctors couldn't figure out what happened, and so they were running a bunch of tests, and I was coming in and out of the doctor trying to figure out what happened and how can this not happen again. And, um, and so I remember pulling up into the doctor's office for another appointment. I was by myself, and I teared up in the car. And I'm not much of a crier at all, but I had tears because I was thinking, man, I, I want to grow old with my wife. I want to see her as an old lady. She's going to be super hot. I want to grow old with her. I want to walk my girls down the aisle one day. I want to be part of the bridge's future because it's exciting what we're doing. And then I thought, who's going to take care of Pastor Jordan? (laughs) But immediately, immediately though, in those moments where I, I was scared, it made me think of what I valued though. And some of you have been there, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about is as soon as you're forced to to, to maybe think about numbering your days, immediately what happens is your values come front and center. And what I'm saying to you is don't be forced into that. Do it yourself. Number your days. Do this right here now. So what are your values? What do you value? What's important to you? And I know we talk about this a lot. We talk about frequently, which is good. We should do that. But seriously, what's really important to you? I mean, for real. The family, maybe being used by God, like you just would love to stand before God one day and God to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you just want to be used by God with this little sliver of your life. Is that a value? Friends, maybe. Maybe it's like having like a Pinterest house or that corporation or that body or that hobby or maybe parents. What's really important to you? And does your schedule this fall reflect that? Because we might say, you know, okay, well, family's important. Like all of us would say that, right? Well, family's important. But if, if they're getting an hour a day and the gym is getting two hours a day, okay, well, then there's a disconnect here. There's an imbalance. And that's when stress happens, when there's a disconnect between our values and our behavior. There's an imbalance. We might say, well, God is important, but if there's like no consistency to serving him and being used by him, there's no really consistency to the relationship and being used by him, can we really say that God is important? So clarify your values. What's really important to you? Is your schedule reflecting what's important to you? So clarify your values. Then what you do is you set goals. Set goals. Now this all flows together. Once your values are clarified, we take those values and we make them into goals. So again, many of us would say family's a value. Okay, well then make a family goal, family time goal. So really, get with your family, make a family time goal. All right, four family dinners a week, um, two to three Saturdays a month where we have a family activity. If your relationship with God is a value, all right, well then make it into a goal. All right, I want to serve him once a week. I want to read this much scripture um, a month. If health is a goal, make it into a value. Okay, gym four times a week, and I'm going to eat a salad for lunch five times a week. See, this is where many people fall short. It's probably where a lot of us are falling short, is we have values, right? Everybody has values. Everyone wants to make time for certain things. We just don't take those values and make them into goals. And so what happens is our values, they kind of stay ethereal, and we don't really do anything with that. And so our calendars fill up with all the immediate, right? We talked about that week one with Mary and Martha, Our calendars fill up with all the immediate stuff, and we feel like we're not making time for the right things, these values. Well, that's because usually we haven't taken those values and make them into goals. Now, take your values, make them into goals. And here's why. Because you then schedule accordingly. You schedule accordingly. 
So you clarify your values, you got them, make them into goals, and then you put them on your calendar and you schedule accordingly. Don't, don't approach your calendar, don't schedule your calendar without goals. It's kind of like, you ever go grocery shopping hungry? It's a bad thing, right? You get home, you're like, I spent like eight times as much because everything just looked good because you're hungry. That's exactly what it's like when you go to your calendar without goals because everything just looks good. Let's just do it all. And that's when imbalance starts. Imbalance and stress come right after we look at our calendar and think, well, as long as it fits, it's good. No, that's a roadmap to stress city. Goals should drive your schedule. Goals should drive your schedule. You will feel great about your schedule when it is driven by your goals that reflect your values. That's when you feel like you're in sync doing the right things. So schedule a family time goal, seriously. And some of you, uh, especially those of you who are like business owners, you really need to do this. Block out calendar, family time, family time, family time, family time. Time with God goal, block it out in your schedule, calendar. I'm gonna read during this time. Um, I know a lot of people who set alarms on their phones. We have a lot of staff who do that, which is, um, it's kind of fun. We'll be like in meetings and all of a sudden like phones will start going off. It's like, what's going on? It's like, oh, it's time to pray because people are just scheduling time to pray throughout the day and setting alarms on their phone to get on their knees before God and just pray. So schedule that. Put it in your calendar. Block out times for fitness if that's a value of yours, a goal of yours. Uh, schedule time to call your parents if that's a goal of yours. Uh, get um, Goals get priority seating on the calendar. Goals get priority seating on the calendar. It's like filling up an airplane, right? All those, all those jerks who paid more get to go on the plane first. Goals get priority seating on the calendar. Right? First thing on your calendar, your goal that reflects your values. See, too many of us, and I'm including myself in this again, we're doing this backwards. Right, we fill up our calendars with all the pressing stuff, right? We're, we're, the, we're the Marthas. We got all the checklist, all the pressing stuff, all the stuff that I'm needed for. That's what fills up the calendar first. And then we look at the calendar and we go, oh, well, there's no room for what I really need to get done then. There's no space for God, for family, for this project. And then it's just another imbalanced season where we start saying again, well, next season's going to be better. Next season's going to be better. That's when you feel like your schedule is out of control, and it is. Our goals should drive our schedule, so we should put our goals on the calendar first. As you look at your calendar, you think goals get priority seating on the calendar. So clarify your values, make them into goals, schedule accordingly, and then number four, demand margin. Demand margin. This is part of the reason that God told Moses to have his people observe the Sabbath. You know what the Sabbath is? God told um, his people to take one day a week and do nothing. Do nothing. You gotta love a God who tells you to do nothing one day a week. Don't plan your calendar like sitting on a suitcase. Create some open space in the calendar. Demand more time than what you think you need between activities so that you're not overwhelmed and rushed. If you're constantly running late, if you're that person, constantly running late, constantly ducking out of things early, if you're known to be that person, it means you need to focus on this a lot more. Demand margin. It slows you down. It gives you the opportunity to be present more with the people you're around and be in the moment more. Now, we talked about margin last week, right? In finances, that margin is the breathing room. In case there's an uh-oh, we got some breathing room, we got some room to work with. It's the same thing with margin. This is why you won't be stressed out because I got some margin. So if somebody wants to talk to me, I got some margin space. We can talk uh, more. Many of us are not living with margin, and it's boom, 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 boom. Uh, to get margin, to get margin, learn to say no. 
Learn to say no. There are things this fall you're going to have to say no to. Not because you don't want to do them, but because you just don't have the time and they don't reflect your values as much as the other things. You, you don't have to say yes to everything. In fact, you shouldn't say yes to everything. Just so you know, this is something that uh, I really struggle with. Right? Because sometimes I like to think I'm like Superman and I can like save the world. I'm going to say yes to everything. I hate saying no. I would rather not answer your text or your email than say no to you because I just feel like a jerk. And sometimes what really helps me is, is keeping this in mind. No for now, but not forever. No for now, but not forever. I think of this line a lot since I have little kids at home. And so a lot of my time right now is at home with my kids in the evenings I want to have my evenings with my kids while they're little. And so I'm still able to get out with friends every once in a while and do stuff, and parents should be able to do that. But at the same time, it's really hard with, with little kids. Some of you know what that's like. And I'm in that season where I just have less freedom to go out. And when I don't go out and I'm kind of bumming about going out and I have to say no, just thinking this helps. No, I can't go out. But just for now, not forever. Maybe you're going through a hard season at work. I right, can't go. Work's piling up. But no for now, but not forever. It's hard when a family member gets sick. And so when you have to say no and it kills you, just think this through. No for now, but not forever. One day I'll have more freedom to go out with you. One day I'll be able to pick up that gig with you. One day I'll be able to, you know, work more overtime. One day I'll have more freedom to enjoy that hobby. One day I'll be able to add that to, your, to my calendar. But I have to say no. But just for now, not forever. But you'll have to say no. This gives you power over your schedule and allows for margin. If you can't say no, you will not take charge of your schedule. You won't get margin and you need Margin. Something that I've been finding, and maybe this is just for me, but something that I've been finding is that the margin space in my life is where God does most of his work in my life. It's, it's, that, it's that little space that God has, has worked on my heart the most, where I've got nothing going on. That margin space can, be, can birth great ideas and meaningful conversations. That, that margin space for me has, has given me new friends because I've had time to interact with others and, and new opportunities. That margin space is extremely valuable. God does so much work in the margin space of your life. But when you're busy, you have no margin. You need margin. Demand it. So, four ways to number your days. Right? Clarify your values. Know what's important to you. Make those into goals. Schedule accordingly. Demand margin. A few uber practical suggestions. We've done this without, uh, throughout the series. These can be extremely helpful. Just the small little ways to get started this afternoon. Um, again, these are just suggestions. We're not telling you what to do. Simple suggestions. Number one, begin your day with God. I would say this first one isn't really a suggestion. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is, this is what you should do. Begin your day with God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we put God at the center of the wheel, right? We talked about that in week one, how our priorities are not a list. They're a wheel, and God is at center, and our priorities are the spokes of that wheel. So each morning, you need to center yourself by getting with the center of your wheel. Take time with God in the morning. Anybody think, well, Junior, okay, this um, I got kid chaos. I got, like, school and lunches to pack and work. Like, a little coffee with God in the morning sounds cute, but that's just not going to happen. I would say then wake up earlier. Like, do what it takes and take longer than you think you need. Make a statement to your day. I'm starting this day off right. I'm starting it off right. I'm getting with God. I'm centering myself. Because we can't learn to number our days. We're not going to learn to number our days if we don't get with a teacher. So we got to get with a teacher each morning and have him teach us how to number our days. Number two, again, just a suggestion, not telling you what to do, but consider the Sabbath. Consider the Sabbath. Again, I said this earlier, 
but I just think it's so funny. One of, the, one of the laws that God gave to Moses to tell God's people was to take a day off. Again, you gotta love a God who tells you to take a day off. Now I know some, some of you are thinking there, well, this is like, this is Old Testament law. Yeah, but it's an awesome rule. Why not follow it? There's still value in it. It slows us down. It makes us stop and enjoy what's around us. Consider celebrating the Sabbath. Jewish people still do this. I think it's fantastic. I got to be in Jerusalem on the start of Sabbath or Shabbat um, one time. And uh, it was such a fun experience. So like soldiers were in the streets and shop owners were like closing their shops. Um, to, and, and they were going out in the streets actually dancing. And then they were going to go inside and eat a meal with their family. It was pretty cool. It was just this big celebration and then a meal. And then you calm down for 24 hours. Growing up, my mom did this with our family. It was, I loved it. It was awesome. We'd have like this nice meal, and the next day, there were no plans, and it was great. We have so many fun family memories in that margin space right there. And today, I do that with my family. We have a menorah in my, uh, in my dining room that I light on Saturday night, and I have this Sabbath playlist on Spotify, and we eat, and then we clean up, and usually it kind of turns into this like dance-off as we clean up. And my girls look forward to it. They might think they're Jewish girls. They love the menorah. They can't wait to light it up and sing Havenu Shalom Malehe and worship songs. I mean, it's, it's a blast. Now, I have three kids, six and under, so it sounds a lot more cool than it is. Sometimes it's like Sabbath gone wild. So I don't mean to like stand up here and be like, oh, we got the perfect little family. I don't mean to think that way about us because we aren't. Just get around us. You'll see. But this is something that Jesus' Jesus's family would have done this. God told them to do this. There's value because it slows you down. And I look forward to it. I love Saturday nights. And then on Sunday, today is our family Sabbath. We don't plan anything. Oh, of course, I got to preach. But um, I'm just going to head home after church. Actually, we got the picnic. So I'm going to go to the picnic. <laughs> and then I'm going to head home after church and just relax. And I'm probably going to sit on my front porch like an old man and plan out my week and enjoy the family. Maybe I'll read a book and then take a walk this evening with my family. Now, we aren't rigid about this. It doesn't always work out, but when it does, it's just really nice. God told his people to do this. We should do it. Consider it for your family. I know it's old law, but it's awesome. Number three, set a limit on evening activities. Set a limit on evening activities. Evenings are so precious, especially if you have kids. So set a, set a limit on evening activities. I was walking home after church last night with my wife, and my wife, my wife said something interesting. She's like, Junior, you should, have said, um, you should have said limit one sport per kid. Like, well, not many people are following that, but I'm going to say it anyways because my wife told me to say it. One sport per kid. Because what we, ends up happening is we just we throw so much on our kids, and we fill up every single evening with sports and all this other stuff. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. I read a book a while back. I wish I could remember the name of the book. But the book talked about how if you, have, uh, if you have a lot of evenings at home as a family, there's a greater chance that your family, your kids will grow up closer to each other and to you, even physically. Because family time and relationships were formed in the home in the evenings, in that margin, in, in some boredom, being at home together. On the flip side of that, kids who grow up from, in the car from activity, 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 and, but they're with parents, you know, the parents are driving, but it's just activity, 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 activity. Rarely home, always at sports or out with friends or, or out. There's a greater chance of them growing up and being more disconnected from family, even physically as they get older. So limit family activities. Evenings are precious. Don't just fill them up. Don't freak out because we don't have anything this evening. No, save some of those evenings. Your kids should say to you sometimes, what are we doing tonight? And you should be able to say a lot, nothing. We're not doing anything. That's a good thing when you can do that. Uh, then number four, last one, have an elderly friend. 
I know, you can make fun of me all you want. I give you permission. This seems like the weirdest thing to put in a sermon. I'm with you on that. You can laugh at me. I'm okay with it, but at least hear me out. As a younger guy, though I'm getting a little bit, little bit gray, three girls, is doing something to me. But as a younger guy, nothing has made me appreciate my time, my wife, and my kids more than hanging around someone who seemingly has less time left on the clock. I had an experience Monday night that just completely wrecked me. During the day Monday, this is Labor Day, I had this, uh, this woman, um, I met this couple uh, this summer, and uh, her husband, husband is very sick. The, this woman was calling me during the day, trying to get me to come over, because the husband took a nosedive health-wise, and he was asking for me to come over. So Monday night, I go over to his, his place, and uh, it was his last lucid moment with his family. And I got to be there and you know, hug him and read scripture and, and talk with the family and have some conversation. And then at some point, he just looked at me and just kind of went to sleep. And hours later, he was gone. And I just remember driving home Monday night. I was so excited to walk in and see my girls, you know? And they were like running, they were like crazy cave women running around the house in their underwear. We we're trying to like tackle them to put pajamas on. But I was just so excited to do that because of the moment that I had prior, you know? I remember as a kid, my great-grandma lived two miles away from, she's in a nursing home, two miles away from my house, and I would ride my orange huffy bike to the nursing home to hang out with her. I was a cool kid. I was like, you know, stuck out ears going to visit Grandma Tilda. Didn't have many friends, obviously, so I would go hang out with my great-grandma, who's 93 years old, and her confused friends. And, uh, and I do remember as a kid, sitting in the nursing home, even as a kid, realizing just the preciousness of time when I sat with them. Sitting with people who had just little left. There's something about sitting with an elderly person and hearing them talk about their spouse who passed makes you appreciate your spouse a lot more. Seeing their kidless, toyless homes makes you smile a bit bigger when you walk into your house and the kids attack you and you step on one of their freaking Legos that they need to put away. You know, there's, there's just something about being around age that naturally makes you number your days. And I think this is why Moses wrote Psalm 90. Remember, he's, he's leading people around a desert waiting for a generation to die off, which means he's going to funeral after funeral after funeral. He's probably going to tents to visit people in their last moments. And he sits down and he writes Psalm 90 because it just gave him this, this perspective on life and God. Number four, it's weird, right? It's totally weird that I would add that, but it does something to you. To rub shoulders with someone who has less days than you. Give it a try. Uh, good thing to do anyway. And some of you in your 50s are like, if anybody asks me out to lunch, I'm going to punch them in the face. <laughs> hey, our time is limited. So we got to limit what we do with our time. Teach us, O oh God, the number of our days. See, I really believe, I really believe this. I don't doubt this at all. I believe that God has something for you this fall. Something specific. Now, I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. But there's something that God has for you. It might be an opportunity. It might be a moment. It might be a lesson. It might be an experience. It might be a relationship. But I believe that God has something for you this fall. But here's my fear. My fear is that you're going to miss it. Because it's go, 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 go. Get there, do that. Get there, do that. Go, 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 go. And schedules are out of whack and imbalanced. And there's no margin. There's no room for God to speak. No room for growth. No room to encounter anything new. Everything is just jam-packed in there. But God has something for you. And he has something for your family. He has something for your kids. He has something for you while you're still single. 
God has something for you. And you're going to find that in time with him. You'll find it in the margin. Don't let that be taken away from you by cramming and walking this tightrope imbalanced and stressed and hurried. Take control. It's a choice. Take control of your schedule. Number your days. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.